Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. So uh, I, I think that uh, most of us are excited for Christmas and Christmas Day, but it's so important to remember what Christmas is really all about. And as we gather together around the table uh, at Christmas and celebrate uh, you know, Christmas in our, in our homes. Many of us will be surrounded by people that we often don't see. Uh, sometimes we have people sitting around that table that we don't know very well, but we happen to be related to them. And so they're going to be sitting there. And some of those people you get along with, and then th- the truth is, and this is part of the stress at Christmas, you don't necessarily always get along with those people that are sitting there at the table. But we got to remember what Christmas is all about. And in every family, undoubtedly, there's always one strange person that's going to be sitting at the table. You you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, have you got that person in your home? Like that, or, or, or in your family, that one strange person that comes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, everyone should know who that one strange person is. And if you don't know who it is, it's you. That's right. It's you. So you were that. Uh, sorry, you had to hear it here. But, uh, you know, I, I hope that you do have an incredible Christmas. And I want to I preach a message to you guys this morning. It's called The Magic of Christmas. I remember when I was growing up as a, as, as a kid, I always got excited about Christmas. I was excited about everything to do with Christmas. And I think one of the saddest days of the year was Boxing Day because I had to wait a full 12 months to cycle back around to that day when I got all of those gifts and those presents. And so I would just count the days down, you know, and, and, and how many sleeps is it? And how long do we have to wait? And when is Christmas coming? And, and like when you're a kid, you can't keep track of the dates. So what we did for our kids is that we bought them an advent calendar. And so the way it worked in our head is they just get one chocolate every day. And when they get to their last chocolate, they know that Christmas is the next day. The thing takes care of itself, which works in theory until your children go ahead and eat all of the chocolates all the way up until Christmas. Now they have no idea and we still get all of the questions, you know. But I think, you know, when we think about Christmas and how long we have to wait for it, I, I often think that when you've got big things that you're waiting for, you know, momentous occasions, Sometimes it could be a wedding, might be a birthday, just a special event. Sometimes it feels like we have to wait so long for these things to come around. We're just counting the days down. Well, I think that that is exactly how the first Christmas would have been. People just counting down the days to that first Christmas. Of course, if you think about it, they wouldn't have been counting down the days to Christmas. In fact, to, to think that they would even consider that Christmas was coming, they didn't even know what the word was. They would, never would have thought about that. In fact, the original people that were counting down for Christmas, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they wouldn't have said the word Christmas. You know what they would have said is, we can't wait for the Messiah to come. And we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. We celebrate that as Christmas. The two are the exact same event and people were absolutely desperate for the Messiah to come they wanted him to be here counting it down when will he come how long do we have to wait for the Messiah to finally arrive and maybe you go to church and so you're familiar with the story but we don't know who's here today and I think it's so important that we understand the nature of the story and if you go back to the book of Genesis which is the very first book of the Bible you'll find out why it's so important that Christ came You know, it says in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And boy, did He just go ahead and create after that. 
In fact, after He created the heavens and the earth, it goes on to say that He created light and He separated the light from the darkness. And He went on creating. He created the earth and everything in it. He created mountains and He created oceans. He created rivers and He created animals and He created, in fact, He created all living creatures. And and then on the sixth day, He created the best thing of all. In His opinion, the pinnacle of all creation, which was human people. Now, here's what you might not know, is that you have been created in the image of God. The Bible says that you are imago Dei. That means created in the image of God. And some of you here today, you're like, well, I don't know, like I feel pretty different to God. I don't know if I'm completely created in His image. Yeah, you're right. You are, you are really different to God. But let me tell you about this. You are body, soul, and spirit, and He is Father, Son, and Spirit. So He is a triune being, and you are a triune being. And so every human being, whether we're close to God in our relationship or not, everyone has been created in the image of God. And so He made Adam and He created Eve and He put them in the garden. And He just gave them the run of the place and they loved it, walking around free and naked and unashamed. And they just enjoyed the creation, you know. And He said, by the way, while you're here, you can do anything that you want. Like you, you've got the run of the place, guys. You're gonna name the animals and you're gonna walk around. It's 20 25 degrees every day. Not like Melbourne. Not like Melbourne, right? No 40 degrees one day and 15 the next. No, every day was just beautiful. It's perfect. They just enjoyed life. And, and he said, all right, you can do whatever you want, but there is one thing that I don't want you to do. And that's to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's found in the midst of the garden. Well, if you know the story, uh, Eve was hanging around apparently near the tree I don't know why she was hanging around the tree. Uh, she shouldn't, be, shouldn't have been there in the first place, but she finds herself in a conversation with a serpent. Now, this is probably the best thing, piece of advice you'll hear today. If you ever find yourself in a forest talking to a serpent, just get out. Just get out. There is nothing there for you. Just leave. Just walk out. There is no reason for you to be in that conversation. Of course, she didn't realize that at the time. So she's in a conversation with a serpent. And he says, hey, why don't you eat the fruit from the tree? She says, no, we're not going to do that. Because God told us that we could do anything we want, but we cannot eat from this tree. He says, ah, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? I don't know. I, th- I think that what God knows is if, if you eat that fruit, that you'll become like him. And, and he doesn't want that. It says at that point that she suddenly realized, right? It's funny how when people realize things, sometimes they're actually being totally fooled or maybe deceived. But she realizes at this point that the fruit was actually good for eating, which it wasn't, but she thinks that it is. So she takes the fruit and she eats it. And uh, she gives some to her husband, Adam, who took it and ate it too. He was absolutely no help to her, you know. And, and so here they are, they're both eating it. And when they ate, they made a terrible mistake because they did exactly what God called them and told them not to do. I think that's really important that we understand that. See, they did, when they made that mistake, we call those mistakes sin. And sin isn't just some moral failure. It means to fail in terms of your design and your intention. So God created you for one purpose, but you're not living that. And if you think about it, there are so many things that could be considered sin. It's something that we all have in in, in common. It's that we just make mistakes. So here's Adam and Eve, and they, they they made a terrible mistake, and God comes looking for them. And it says that when God came looking for them, you know what they did? They hid. This is how you know that sin makes you stupid, because they actually tried to hide from God. 
Like he created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And then up to this point, they have an uninhibited relationship with God. They know he made everything. He's everywhere all at once. And they said, let's hide from him. What a terrible game of hide and seek. Where would you go? Under a bush? Would you find a good rock and say, this is it? He'll, ne- he'll never find us here, you know? But of course, God knows everything. So that was a really short game. So he comes and just finds them and, and, and says, hey, guys, well, what happened? And then, of course, they have to come clean with everything that they did. They say, look, we know you told us not to do it, but we did. And the serpent told us to eat it. And then we ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And then God says, all right, well, you need to understand that there is always punishment attached to sin. There's always a consequence for the sins that we, that we make, for the sins that we do. And so he begins to speak in this order. You know, he speaks to the, to the serpent, which was the devil, and then he speaks to Eve and he speaks to Adam. But I want to just focus in on this one passage of Scripture that comes out of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means active opposition. That means between humankind and the devil, that there will always be active opposition between them. So I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then it says this next part, and I want you to focus on this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now when he says he, he's not just talking about people. He's talking about a very specific person. That person is Jesus. And here's what he's saying. Jesus is going to bruise your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Let me translate that for you. There is coming a day where Jesus will absolutely crush and destroy you. That day is coming. And you will strike at him and you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush you in the process. And that is exactly what happened when Jesus came. When Jesus died on the cross for people's sins, what happened in that moment is he paid a penalty. He the devil struck his heel. He died. But then if you know the story, he was resurrected and he lived again. And, and when he did, he absolutely crushed and completely defeated the power of the enemy. And that scripture that I read to you is called proto-evangelism. And it is the very first mention of the gospel. The gospel is what we call good news. And the good news is the fact that Jesus would come to restore people, to heal them, to set them free from the power of sin that would be over them. And so that happens in Genesis chapter 3. Now now we know that it's going to happen at some point in the future. And then you start reading from chapter 4. And to be honest, from chapter 4 all the way to the book of Matthew, this whole middle section of the Bible is filled with the stories of people that tried to fix all their own problems. See, the moment that sin entered the world, it changed the relationship that people had with God. And this middle section that I'm holding right here represents the stories of thousands of people over thousands of years where all they tried to do was to fix an impossible problem. And you know what? They were just waiting for one day when the Messiah would come, when He would make it all right. It it began to get obvious over a period of time that they just weren't going to be able to fix this problem. So they waited. And they just waited. And they waited. In the middle of that waiting, there's a psalm that was written, Psalm 130, and it says this, that when He comes... 
He will redeem. The word redeem in its original language means to restore something to its originally intended and created purpose. That's beautiful. That means that what Jesus is going to do when He comes is He's going to restore people to the position that He created them for. He's going to restore them to their originally designed and intended purpose. So it says He will restore Israel from all His iniquities. That word iniquities, it it actually means the guilt that comes with the sin that you create or the sins that that you have or the wrong things that you've done in your life. In a very accurate picture of the, of the future, we read this in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. And this is so important because for some of you, if you don't come to church very often, you may think about God in a very specific way. You think He's one thing, but you should listen to how the Scriptures describe Him. It says that He is a wonderful counselor. Did you know that? Did you know that God is a wonderful counselor? Like, I don't know what you think of when you think of God. Maybe every time you go to God, you feel like He's just frustrated with you or He's mad with you and He's disappointed in you. He's disappointed in your life. And yet that's not what the Scriptures describe Him as. It says that He's a wonderful counselor. Oh, He's a mighty God. What, what could happen in your life that the God who created the universe would not be able to fix and solve? It says that He's an everlasting Father, that He is a Prince of Peace. And it says of the increase of His government, which is to say that when He comes, He's going to change everything. There will be, spiritually speaking, a government that will rule with Jesus being at the head. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That scripture was written such a long time before Jesus ever came. Such a long time before the Messiah was going to come. And as as you can imagine, the Hebrew people seeing this, they're like, we cannot wait for this moment. How many sleeps till Christmas? How many sleeps till the Messiah comes? So they would hear these scriptures that were written by prophets who would speak of this day that would come in the future, but now they're just waiting. Is it today? Is is, is it tomorrow? Like, when is this thing finally going to happen? You know, there there was no advent calendar big enough to help them count down the days and the time until he came. You know, it's it's summer at the moment and we're in the middle of wedding season. And so I, I did a wedding eight days ago. It was on Saturday and I got everything ready. And I had, you know, like my message prepared and the, the book, big red book that you've got to sign and all the paperwork and everything. And then I had in another place, I had my phone and uh, my wallet and all, all of the stuff that I needed. And I, I had a quick look at the map and I did some things and I came back and I grabbed the books and I left and I got in the car and I just started driving towards the direction that we were going to, to go to the wedding. And about halfway there, I thought I should really look up the map so I, I know where to go. So I went in the right direction, but I, I had to find specifically where to go. So I began to search for my phone only to realize that, that I had left it at home. 
And I found myself in this situation. You want to see a pastor begin to really pray and break out into a cold sweat, you know? I'm like, I'm praying like, God, you are the creator of heaven and earth. Please just help me get to this wedding. Like, here's a beautiful couple hoping to get married. All pins on me. Now, here's the situation. I'm halfway there, but I'm too far to go back and get the phone so I know where I'm going. So I just have to start memorizing where that location was. And so I start to drive and I'm thinking, oh Jesus, please help me out. Like I have no idea where, where is this specifically? And along the way, I would see a sign and I'm like, I remember that sign. This is the road. This is the right way. You know, and so I was driving and I'd not see any more signs for a period of time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've left it. I've left the tracks. I'm headed the wrong direction. And then I would see another sign and it says, this is the way to go. And I'm like, yes, I'm finally, I, I, I think, I think by the power of God, I'm going to make it to this wedding on time. And then finally, there was a driveway with a big, very specific that sign says, wedding in here. I'm like, praise Jesus, he's alive. He's alive. I have found the location of this wedding. I am not going to mess up this day for this couple. And, and, and so thank God for the signs along the way that let me know that I was actually getting closer to the event. I think that's exactly what Jesus did with all of the prophets before He came. That's how God did it with all of His prophets. He would speak through them and they'd say, hey, here's a sign that you're on the right way. And yes, the day is still coming. And yes, it's still going to happen as they waited and just hoped that it would come. There's a scripture that talks about this and gives a very specific sign. It says in Isaiah 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is not a prayer. And Emmanuel is not a carol. Emmanuel is a statement. That name means God with us. Can I tell you that God wants to be with you? That God wants to be with His people? Names are so important to God and His name states that He will be with His people. I think it's so important to understand what God is like and to form that picture from what He says to be true about Himself. I, I don't know what you picture when you try to think about who God is, you know? Like if you've ever tried to, even imagine what he looks like. And if you were to close your eyes, you don't have to do this, but if you imagine what he looks like, I can tell you, we probably see a couple of things in common. He's always wearing sandals. I don't know why. He's always wearing sandals. You would think by this stage that he would upgrade to a pair of Nikes, but God is all, he loves, he's old school. He's old school. He, he, he loves to wear sandals, Birkenstocks, to be honest. And so he, he's wearing sandals. And then you think about, the rest of him and what he looks like, he, for some reason, God always has a beard, you know? Like he has a beard and it's a big beard. Like it's impressive, like a well-manicured and fantastic and amazing beard. So God has a beard. And if you try to imagine what his face looks like, and this is really important, and how you picture the face of God will tell me a lot about how you think about him. You sort of see him with this kind of slight scowl. Like he's just, just a little bit irritated. 
not, not completely. When, when is God, if God is laughing in your imagination of what it looks like, I'd be surprised because oftentimes people picture him, especially people that don't know what God is like or who he is. They imagine his face and it looks almost like, like brooding, deep, like really deep, like you don't want to bother him or talk to him. Now, if that's what God looks like, if you imagine that God is wearing sandals, He's got a beard and he's kind of slightly disappointed. If that's what you imagine God looks like, you could go right down the street that we're on to the retirement home that's just down there. You'll find a whole heap of people that look just like God. You know, you, you could walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, there's God, there's God, there's God, there's God. All these people, like, they're, they're, they're older and, and they have beards and they're slightly, you know, agitated. You know, that's not what God actually is like. I don't know what your image is of God. I don't know how you think of Him, but that's, that's not what God is like. That's certainly not how the Bible describes Him. In fact, the Bible says that He's not far. That He's never distant. And maybe you don't come to church very often and this next part is going to blow you away, but He's in this room right now. His name is Emmanuel. He wants to be with His people. You think about how the scriptures describe him, that he is a wonderful counselor. If every time you go to God and you feel bad because he's making you always feel bad about your life and what you do, that doesn't sound like the words of a wonderful counselor. In fact, you know what? For anybody that, that thinks of God or thinks about coming to church and is apprehensive because they feel only the judgment but never the counsel, kind of makes me think, where are you getting your counsel from? Like, I wonder if the person that's really counseling you is the same one that's trying to keep you from the presence of God. Because if you got into His presence, you might see Him completely differently. It says that He's a wonderful counselor, that He's a, he's a mighty God. How many people need the presence of a mighty God in their life? A God who's abundantly above everything that we could think, hope, or even imagine. A God that's able to make all things work to the, together to form in some way for His good. Like, we need a mighty God. We need a Prince of Peace. Imagine in the middle of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Come on, every, every single person that's here in this room today has gone through some kind of storm in life. And what in the middle of that storm, your peace didn't come from your circumstances, but from your Savior. He is the Prince of Peace. Everybody wanted this God, the Everlasting Father, the one that would watch over them, the one that would know the amount of hairs that you have on your head, the one that would engrave you on the palm of his hand. Everyone wanted this God, so God sent his son, Jesus. I want to read to you what happened when he sent his son and so you can understand how this took place. And I want to read to you out of John chapter 1, and this is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says this in verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a beautiful scripture, but if you're new to church, you're like, that's great. What does that have to do with this message? 
I don't even know what you just said, but you said the word, word a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Now I want to make it really easy for you to understand because that's going to be so helpful for you today. So what we need to do is explain what the word, word means. So if I tell you what the word, word means, then you'll make sense of it. Are you with me so far? All right, so let's do this. I'm going to place, replace the word, word with Jesus and reread it. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning because he is the pre-existent God that came from heaven to earth. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 14. Here's what it says. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Well, that doesn't makes sense again until we replace the word word with Jesus and let me reread it and then Jesus became flesh and he dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son of the father full of grace and truth the God that we serve he's full of grace and truth you know like Let's not be confused about this. God wants to change your life. Because when you love someone, you tell them the truth, right? Oh my gosh. Right, church, I'm praying and interceding for you because when you love someone, you tell them the truth, right? Some of you do. I'm worried about the rest of you. When you love someone, you don't want to leave them the way that they are. You've got to tell them the truth so that they can change their lives. And so some people think that God is only a God of truth, only tells them their problem, but He's also the God of grace. He's the God of truth and He's the God of grace. And so He comes in this way. And so here it is, for thousands of years, the prophets spoke about Him. When will He come and how will He be here? And, and, and how's it all gonna come and happen? And just counting down the days till the Messiah eventually arrives. And you did you know this, that... When we read the story of when Jesus came in the book of Matthew, up until that moment had been 400 years of silence between God and Israel. We call that appropriately the silent years because God didn't speak to His people. And how many of you know that, that, you know, as they got closer to the day that Jesus would come, they probably thought, we haven't heard God in years. And if we haven't heard God in years, then surely He's so far from us right now. He's got to be distant. I mean, we haven't heard from Him in 400 years. But how many of you know that God doesn't need to build up to the relationship to break through into your circumstances? And for some of you, you may have not heard the voice of God in years. You may have thought that He was far and you may have thought that He was distant. But the promise that He made to you is that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so even though you may not have heard His voice, I promise you today He's closer than hands and feet. And so all of a sudden, with absolutely no warning, Christ comes. And I want to read to you the way in which he came. It says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed. So the way that it works when somebody was betrothed is they, it's like an engagement, only far more significant. In fact, they would consider 
couples that were betrothed, they considered them to be husband and wife, even though they weren't actually husband and wife. In fact, the only way to get out of being betrothed was to get divorced. So they're not actually married yet, but it says that when she was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. He, he resolved to divorce her quietly. I, I love reading this because it's, it makes the story so real. I mean, not even Joseph believed that she had a baby in her stomach that was the Messiah. And I think about this because, you know, I think a lot of the times when people have problem with the Christmas story, they're like, come on. You kidding me? You're going to tell me that a virgin had a baby? All right, well, maybe we should just start at the very beginning of the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, God created the very first human being out of the dust of the earth and He breathed life into it and Adam came to life. How difficult would it be for him to create a baby that would be in the womb of the Virgin Mary? I mean, he's already halfway there. At least she exists when he created Adam. Nothing existed. He made Adam from scratch. This is relatively easy. See, once you enter into the realm of God, all things are possible. If he created the heavens and the earth, the the expanse of the universe, the orbit of the earth around the sun, how difficult would it be for him to put a baby in the womb of a virgin? Not difficult at all. And so Joseph still had trouble believing her. Can you imagine how conversation would go? Mary comes to Joseph and she goes, hey, Joseph. He's like, hey, I hope you like surprises. He said, I love surprises, Mary. What you got for me today? I'm going to have a baby. And he's like, what? Well, yeah, of course, babe, we're going to have a baby. Like, I've I can imagine it now, like we're going to have little children. I'll call the first one Benjamin's, great name. And hey, uh, I want to have a baby. Let's, babe, when we're we're married, let's have a baby. She's like, yeah, no, this is the surprise part of this whole thing, right? Um, I'm actually already having one. He's like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, yes, I'm having a baby. He's like, how did this happen? Interesting that you should ask that question. Because I am having a baby and the baby is God's baby. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm so glad that we figured this out before we actually got married, you crazy lady. You're going to tell me that there's a baby in your tummy and the baby is God's baby. We know that that he initially, he didn't believe her. And baby's like, I don't, I don't think I need to, re- to read the where do you come from book to you today, but babies only happen one way, okay? So there's only one other plausible explanation for a baby to come. And he's like, if he's going to divorce her, he must have thought it was the other thing, you know? So he doesn't want to embarrass her. He's like, this is so embarrassing. But look, tell you what, even though the invitations have already gone out, 
We have a gift registry at my, I'll cancel that. Don't worry, we'll refund the money to the people. I booked a photographer. I'm only disappointed because I put down a deposit and you know those guys are expensive. And so, and so we'll, we'll just cancel everything and tell you what, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to divorce you quietly. And then no one really has to know. I mean, it's going to be weird that there's no dad around and, and that in our culture, you know how that is. But, but you know, I'm just going to re- resolve to divorce you quietly. Now, before he actually does that, it says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, he was obviously thinking it through. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken through the prophet. And here's that scripture again. This was the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Remember, Adam, when I told you that this would be the sign. Think back. Think back to history class. You remember when your rabbi would teach that to you, that this is how it would happen? This is, this is it. It's happening right now. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, as she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. If you're not sure what God is like, you don't have to imagine it. Just look at Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. If you've wondered what God is like, read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, begin to look through the Scriptures as you begin to read about what Jesus was like and how Jesus loved and how Jesus cared for people, you're going to discover so much about God. Why? Because He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. In fact, Jesus, His name translated Yahweh, it means to deliver, to rescue. What was He rescuing people from? From the problem that they were unable to solve themselves. Over thousands of years, tried as hard as they could. If you think that a relationship with God is about you just trying to be really good and Him being agitated because you can't get it together, congratulations, you found religion, but you have not found relationship with God. Because that is not how Christianity works. That's not what a relationship with God is all about. What did He deliver people from? For thousands of years, the weight of sin. See, the problem with sin is you can't get rid of it once you got it. It's like once you've caught it and you've made a mistake, come on, you already know that it just continues to sometimes contribute to more mistakes in your life. And so after thousands of years with everyone failing, Jesus comes and He rids the world of sin, of shame, of guilt, of regret. Come on, who does this not speak to? Every single person in this room has a memory of something they wish they never did. Everyone here has a regret. Everyone here, including me, has this problem called sin that we need to deal with. 
every single person knows what it feels like to have the weight, the debilitating weight of guilt and, and sin in their life. Everyone knows what this feels like and they struggle to do it. And then Jesus came to rid the world of this. You know, I, I wondered what people think about Christmas. So I, I googled Christmas. Because if you ever want to know what something's about, Google. So I Googled Christmas. And I saw this article and it said, how to bring in the magic of Christmas. I thought that's, I would love to know. That's great. I, I would love to know how to bring in the magic of Christmas, the magic of Christmas. Come on, you'd be interested in that, right? Like, how do you bring in all the magic of Christmas into your life? Wow, what I'm about to tell you will draw the magic in. Are you ready for this? Wow, because this is incredible, all right? If you want to draw in the magic of Christmas into your house and into your life, the first thing you need to do is get an elf on the shelf. You didn't know? Aren't you glad you came today? I mean, if you just take that one piece of truth away today, isn't that amazing, right? You didn't know how to get the magic of Christmas in your home. You've been an elf short. You just eat an elf. Grab an elf and put it on your shelf. Well done, you're off to a great start. What do you do next? Well, if you really want to draw in the magic of Christmas, you can go for a drive and see all the Christmas lights. Isn't that beautiful? Want to find the magic of Christmas? Let's go to a house and see their lights. That'll draw in the magic, surely. If you want to join the magic of Christmas and, and, and you're starting to get a little bit serious about this, like you really want to give it a good go, it says that you should sit down and read the Polar Express. That's it. Some of you are actually really glad that, that was in there. The Polar Express. Yes, of course. The magic of Christmas has always eluded me. If, if only I had have realized that I just had to sit down and read that book, that would have just saved me. So much energy and effort at Christmas. I've been putting all my energy in the wrong place, you know? And then finally, if you want to, I mean, if you really want to draw in the magic of Christmas, point number four is that you write a letter to Santa. Wow. And if you write a letter to Santa and you do the Polar Express and you check out the, you know, Christmas lights and you get an elf on the shelf, you will draw into your life the magic of Christmas. I thought, really? Is that how we do it? Is that what makes Christmas so magical? I mean, is it, is it really even magical? Can, can I tell you that Christmas is not about elves on the shelves as much as it is about Jesus becoming flesh and fixing the biggest problem we have ever faced as the human race. That's really what Christmas is all about, the fixing the problem that we couldn't solve in thousands of years of our own individual efforts and and trying and controlling our behavior and very religious behavior and activity. That, none of that worked. And yet Jesus came and he, he just he fixed it all in a moment. But can I tell you this? When he fixed it, it wasn't magic. In fact, can I do something today? I don't want to ruin Christmas for you, okay? But, but can, I, can I just level with you today? Nobody said yes, but you're going to get it anyway. So I'm just going to be honest. Because when you love people, you tell them the truth, right? Okay, well, here's, here's the truth. Christmas, it isn't magic. Yeah, total letdown, right? So Christmas is not magic. 
magic is actually illusions as, as entertainment. Don't get me wrong, like Christmas is entertaining, is it not? Like, isn't Christmas entertaining? We love everything that's about Christmas, and, and we do. But if, if we get caught up in that, oh gosh, are we getting caught up in the illusion? Can I, can I tell you a few truths about Christmas? Number one, Jesus didn't appear by magic. It was a plan set in time by God for the exact right moment. Romans 5 verse 6. Jesus wasn't birthed by magic. God sent Him. And Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.35. Jesus wasn't made alive by magic. He created the world. It was simple enough for God to birth Jesus as a human through the Virgin Mary. You can just read about how He creates in Genesis chapter 1. Our sins don't disappear by magic. They were paid for by Jesus, John 1, 29. And Jesus wasn't resurrected by magic, but by the power of God, Romans 8, 11. I need to tell you something today. There's no magic at Christmas, just the gospel. That's, that's all it is. There's, there's no actual magic. If you're searching for the magic of Christmas, trying to find it out there, I want to tell you today that you'll find it in here. You'll find it when you discover the story of humanity and what Christ actually did for us at Christmas. And don't get me wrong, like, like I love Christmas. Like my, at, at my home, we have a Christmas tree and we put it up and we, we put up lights and, and we love that. I, I love Christmas. I love celebrating I love to eat on Christmas Day. I love to eat all day on Christmas Day. I, I, I love all the Christmas food. I'm a big fan of turkey. Like, love the turkey and the gravy, and, and, and I love all of that. I love that the kids are on holidays, so we get to stay up late and watch Christmas movies. Or they're actually action movies, but we, we stay up and watch them. Actually, it's just me watching Die Hard at night after they've gone to bed, which is the greatest Christmas movie of all time behind the all the other important ones. And so any, anyway, the, the, the point that I'm making is I love Christmas. I love giving gifts and I love receiving gifts. I, I love the whole experience. But my point to you is if it's only a festive season, then you've missed the entire reason. Listen, when it comes to Christmas, God loves you. And it's not magic. It's not out there somewhere. It's in Him. God just completely loves you. And when I read that, I think, wow. That message is infinitely better than trying to capture the illusion of magic Christmas. That message that God loves you. That at the very center of the universe is a God who sees everything about you. And in spite of everything that He sees, He loves you with an intensity that made Him send His only Son to pay the penalty for your sins. That, that message is infinitely better than trying to just discover the, the magic of Christmas. I, I want to read one more scripture to you today. This comes out of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. It says this, in this, the love of God was made manifest. The word manifest means for something to be made plain and obvious. So it's like really obvious that God loves people. So 
So in this, the love of God was made very plain and obvious amongst us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm about to explain that to you because there's one word in there that you just have, might have no idea what it means. It's the word propitiation and it's one of the most beautiful words that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. Propitiation is a word that means a sacrifice that turns wrath into favor. That's what that means. Jesus was the sacrifice, paying the penalty that we deserve. He is the sacrifice that turns God's wrath into favor on our lives. Do you know what that means? That means for everyone that comes to the Father through His Son, Jesus, that means that what God wants to do in your life is pour out favor. And that's just what the Bible says. That's what it's all about. And in this is love. Because only love would drive God to send His only Son to the cross. It was only love that would do that. You've got to understand this today. I, I don't know how you got to be here today. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. You could feel a million miles from God today in this room, but I tell you, He loves you before you love Him. That's who He is. How about this? God doesn't even require you to love Him before He starts loving you. In fact, He sent Jesus and loved everyone before they even loved Him. This, this, this is Christmas. It's a message of love. And when we celebrate Christmas, what we're saying to Jesus is, Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done, for how you love us, for the life that we have in you. And so, I don't know. Maybe you came here today with questions about God. You don't know what He's like. You've tried to imagine it, but you couldn't think of what He was like. Surely He must be so angry with you because of all the stuff that's in your life that shouldn't be there. Maybe that's who God is. We talk about God and you just get the, the whole wrong picture. But I need to tell you something today. You are loved. You are infinitely loved. And this is what God says. He says, I will never leave you. and I will never leave forsake you. He's closer than hands and feet. He's all around you even now. And I, I think if God was to say one thing to you right now, and maybe some of you have never heard God's voice, but you're about to hear it through me, because I know the kind of conversation that He would have with you. He would say, give your life to me. Give your life to me. You've tried to do everything on your own and you haven't been able to do it. You know, it's amazing to me how some people think that what they need to do is get themselves right first, you know? Like, I'll, I'll come to church, you know, and sure, maybe I'll start right with God, but I need to get my life on track 
first. And, and once my life is on track, then I will come to Him. You'll never get it on track. That's the whole point. He says, don't try to fix yourself. People tried to do that for thousands of years in thousands of ways. And they failed over and over and over again. He says, you don't need to try. You just need to ask. See, God loves you and He's done everything to know you. And believe me, He's taken a thousand steps towards you. And He only ever asks that you take one towards Him. And the one step that you take is you say, okay, I'll let you in. I'm going to let you into my life. I know it's not right. I know I'm not right. I think back about all the mistakes that I made. I have the guilt. I have the shame. I know I'm not perfect. But God, if you say you're willing to take me as I am and to help me where I'm at, then I'll say yes to you. And you know, it's so easy to say yes to God. You simply pray. And prayer is just talking. And it's what you do. You say, God, I know I'm not right, but I'm asking you to come into my life and to help me. I actually want to know you. I'm wondering if we could do that this morning. Why don't you do this for a moment? Just close your eyes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.